0: Welcome to the Financing Social Entrepreneurs Podcast. My name is Fergal Byrne. Every week I speak to people who fund and support social innovation in different ways. Grant providers, impact investors of various kinds, angel investors, foundations, family offices and more. They talk frankly about how they work, how they make investment, grant and funding decisions, what they will invest in or support and what they cannot. They talk about the pros and cons of different sources of funding, share lessons and insights, and provide invaluable advice for any social entrepreneur or innovator looking to build and finance a sustainable social business. I'm very pleased today to introduce Susie Lee. Susie is Chief Investment Officer at RSF Social Finance, a financial services organisation that aims to revolutionise how people relate to money. RSF is a leader in the field of integrated capital, the coordinated use of debt, equity grants and non-financial resources to support the steady growth of social enterprises. Susie has 20 years of cross-sector investment and entrepreneurial experience and oversees RSF's integrated capital and execution. So thank you very much Susie for taking the time today to speak to Financing Social Entrepreneurs podcast. Thank
1: you for having me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation.
0: I'm very much looking forward to talking to you about the work that you do at RSF Social Finance and uh, how you see the impact investment environment evolving uh, in the future. And I'm just wondering maybe a good place to start would be if you could tell me a little bit about your role.
1: Sure, Uh, so my role here at RSF Social Finance as Chief Investment Officer is focused on three areas. The first capital deployment, the second is asset management, and the third is new product development. In that first uh, category of capital deployment, that's really, I think, the area of interest for your audience. Uh, What I mean by that is that RSF has approximately $130 million of investor and donor money that we deploy out in the form of loans, grants, and investments to social enterprises. So what that entails is that our team is constantly sourcing and building a robust pipeline of aligned social enterprises. We do due diligence and underwriting to get to uh, closing on the financing. And then we manage those relationships with social enterprises over the duration of the investment and beyond. And then asset management, we have about $70 million of philanthropic assets that we manage on behalf of our donor-advised fund clients. So our goals are to align that capital uh, with um, our mission and values so the goals there are largely capital preservation and yield that um, that balances out our fees for the services and then um, and then the third piece is around new product innovation we are constantly aiming to best meet the needs of our of the social enterprises in our portfolio and in our pipeline and out in the marketplace with new, Flexible offerings that can help them achieve their impact goals. And at the same time, we are listening to the needs of our investor and donor clients and aiming to create new offerings and products that meet their goals in terms of delivering uh, impact with their capital and um, and achieving certain types of, of return. So that's a summary of, um, of of my role, and looking forward to diving in on on all that we do at RSF in service to social entrepreneurs.
0: Right, yeah. right, interesting. Now, what's the background, and how did this develop? How did RSF develop?
1: Sure. So we have a thirty year track record, and RSF began um, as a nonprofit organization in the New York area, and it started out doing loans to schools. So it started its very first loan was a Alone to a Waldorf school in New York. And RSF um, was originally started around the philosophy of Rudolf Steiner. And so a lot of the issue areas that we focus on sustainable food and agriculture, ecological stewardship, and education and the arts were really born from uh, some of the philosophies of Rudolf Steiner.
0: But really, in recent
1: years, we have adapted and evolved quite a bit to really meet the evolving needs of. The social enterprises in these uh, in these issue areas.
0: Can you talk a little, Susie, about RSF's approach to financing social
1: enterprises? RSF, I think, is unique in the social finance space in that we are principally a lender, uh, and so the marketplace in which we operate, we're often competing either with commercial banks, and so social enterprises are really eager to work with us because they want to align. Their uh, sources of capital, with their values and with their mission, and we also partner with other values-aligned and mission-aligned um, lenders, such as community banks or CDFIs. And what we are increasingly able to do in terms of what what is occurring in the, the marketplace, oftentimes social enterprises when they need to raise capital to grow, there's such a culture, especially here. We're based here in Silicon Valley. There really is a culture around. Uh, venture financing as really the path for growing a social enterprise. And in fact, it's not always the best path for for all companies. And so when um, companies have business models that that qualify them to raise debt to finance their growth, we can help to educate them about uh, the benefits of raising debt capital to help grow their business. Um, we can we help advise around the appropriate mix of capital and really we take a, a relationship based approach and a partnership based approach to financing social entrepreneurs. And so what we're seeing in the marketplace is a real increase in demand for personal relationships, for deeper connection. I think the especially on the banking side and the lending side, A lending business can be very transactional when you look at the conventional marketplace. And so social enterprises often, um, even if they are able to get um, commercial debt financing, what they don't get um, out of that uh, transaction is the support, uh, the non-financial capital that is often required to bridge them to the next um, phase of growth and impact. So one of the things that struck me about RSF and the model as I, was, as I was joining the organization is that in my background, I spent most of my career as a private equity and venture capital investor, both in the traditional marketplace and in the impact marketplace. And venture investors, as you know, have a very close relationship with portfolio organizations, with entrepreneurs. They... Um, that's due to the control uh, dynamic that uh, exists in in a venture capital um, financing relationship. And so RSF very uniquely utilizes uh, debt capital, uh, which is often beneficial to a social enterprise because they're not giving up uh, ownership in the company, and yet has a a, a venture-like relationship approach uh, and a hands-on partnership approach to supporting that social enterprise. So that's very unique in that typically the kind of human capital, uh, the kind of access to networks and community is often uh, correlated in the mainstream marketplace with a control equity investment relationship. And RSF actually takes the positive elements of a venture financing model in terms of deep engagement uh, with the social entrepreneur uh, connection to network and community and non financial uh, tools. And and yet, uh, the, the type of financial capital we provide is oftentimes uh, comes in the form of loans. That's
0: fantastic. And that's very unusual, as you say, because for various reasons, I know in the world of venture investing, there's all, all kinds of questions about transactions being too small and not being of sufficient size to merit the kind of support that the venture capital investor would provide, uh, not to mention the the returns. And clearly, this must be a, quite a labor-intensive activity because the margins, presumably, you make on the debt and so forth are not at all in the, the league with the expectations of a venture investor. Yes,
1: yeah, so I'm happy to talk a bit about our business model that might help set the context for how we approach our our financing of social entrepreneurs are we we know and we, we are able to serve social entrepreneurs so well in part because RSF social finance is a social enterprise ourselves. We, um, our business model relies on the earned income uh, that we generate through our lending activity as well as through our philanthropic services work and so 85% of our revenue our operating revenue comes from earned income And the balance of that, 15%, uh, we raise through philanthropic contributions um, to our core operating uh, activity.
0: Now, what kind of uh, philanthropic capital is this that you access?
1: The majority of our clients are high net worth individuals who are aligned with our mission and provide uh, gift capital for our operating support. They also often engage across our other products and offerings. So a a donor to RSF uh, might also have donor-advised fund accounts uh, with us, Uh, and they might also be investors in our social investment fund or our shared risk loan funds. So that's the a typical client profile is a high net worth individual uh, working through their family office to engage deeply with RSF across Our integrated capital offerings uh, and they are generally motivated and inspired by the work how we work with social entrepreneurs and our integrated capital approach and our focus on transforming the way that people work with and relate to money so oftentimes it's a personal journey for our our clients uh, and in addition to high net worth individuals, we also do have uh, institu- some institutional support on the philanthropic side. The Heron Foundation recently made a lead commitment uh, of $1.5 million uh, into our growth capital campaign, which will help fuel R&D and innovation and uh, continued new product and new program offerings that RSF can uh that Arsene is developing uh, in support of our mission.
0: The Financing Social Entrepreneurs podcast is brought to you in collaboration with Echoing Green. Echoing Green drives social progress further, faster, via its Global Social Entrepreneurship Fellowship, now running for 30 years. Echoing Green's new impact investment program aims to bridge the gap between impact investors and social entrepreneurs to help social entrepreneurs better access finance to build stronger, more resilient social ventures. You can find out more at echoinggreen.org. You mentioned integrated capital, and I and this is something that comes up again and again, and I know this is at the heart of what you do. Can you talk a little bit about that, what it means and how it informs your business model and how you go about your the way you do business?
1: So RSFs... Integrated capital approach is core to our strategy of delivering impact and catalyzing change through social entrepreneurs that we fund. Through this approach, we deploy a unique mix of financial capital along the risk spectrum, meaning we provide debt, we have the capability to provide equity investments, we can make guarantees that can unlock loan funding, and we also have the capacity to make grants. And so that breadth and flexibility of financial tools enables us to really focus on the need of the social enterprise. And then we do the work of optimizing and recommending what forms of capital and what mix of capital would best suit uh, a social enterprise at its stage of growth.
0: Right. Right. Does that mean that you would provide different kinds of capital to the same client the same business so at one stage of the development you might provide debt another stage the guarantee and and maybe eventually an equity type investment
1: exactly yes and so it's different forms of capital at different points in time to meet the needs of entrepreneurs based on where they are and uh, and their capability to take on debt or their need to and ability to raise equity Uh, or their need for, for example, technical assistance grants to help enhance and carry out uh, their their mission.
0: Brilliant, brilliant. Can you talk a little bit about that for social enterprise? You know, give me some sense of when is it appropriate? When is it not appropriate? A big topic, I know, trying to boil it down into a few minutes, but a few guidelines, because you hear uh, often people talk about, not taking on debt, that debt being, you know, a challenge. On the other hand, you know, uh, some organizations clearly are a stage of development where um, equity isn't appropriate and, you know, there are different factors that come into play, aren't there? So I, I, are there a few um, things you could say?
1: So uh, oftentimes many uh, social enterprises that, that do raise equity actually would not qualify or aren't uh, mature enough uh, in their development yet to to raise Debt. So the profile of the businesses that are in RSF's sweet spot are businesses that have been uh, in operation for generally at least three years, uh, that have at least a million dollars in sales, uh, that are profitable or on target to become profitable within a 12-month time period, and from a uh, from a balance sheet perspective. They do need to have assets um, to secure a loan. Uh, so typically, they have uh, solid AR and inventory uh, to borrow against, uh, and then their business model is proven enough where they have uh, reliable cash flow um, to service uh, a loan. And so that—that's really the. The profile of the um, social enterprise, either nonprofit or uh, for-profit, that would um, that would uh, qualify for the senior secured loan offering uh, that we have. And then again, we've developed new products further down the risk spectrum called shared risk funds, where the investors uh, share in the the potential uh, losses of the portfolio, so we can take more risk and. In those cases, we are able to make loans um, as small as $50,000, and we're typically doing loans in the 100 to $250,000 range um, out of those funds. And in those cases, organizations can be earlier, slightly earlier stage. Uh, we don't fund startups, but you know businesses that have been in operation for at least 18 months, uh, that have at least $500,000 um, in sales, and that are on track to profitability. Usually, there's a longer uh, lead time there. And, and again, we have a lot more um, flexibility um, there. And maybe it would be helpful for me to, I mean, in terms of the types of loans that we provide, we do mortgage loans, construction loans, equipment loans, and then we also do working capital lines of credit. So, uh, for example, um, in the education and arts uh, segment of our portfolio, a lot of schools or arts organizations are looking to purchase and, and refurbish um buildings for their work. And so we, um, we have become the, the mortgage lender of choice among nonprofit social enterprises, uh, again, in education and the arts uh, that are looking for aligned capital to finance their new buildings.
0: Right, right. So this would be asset-backed finance for, for the most part? Yes. Yes. And to what extent do you provide working capital finance? Is that a small part of the portfolio?
1: it's a growing part of our portfolio. We actually have several examples of uh, sustainable um, food and beverage companies have actually some of them are new uh, to us, and some of them have grown with us. We have an example of a beverage company that started out with us uh, almost t- eight or ten years ago, and at the time they were you know somewhere between five and ten million in sales. They were barely profitable, and we were able to um, we were able to work with them to provide uh, some working capital to help support their growth. And then today, we're still working with them, and we are actually expanding a five million dollar line of credit. And we're we're working on actually almost doubling um, capacity. And we're working um, currently on on a um, on an almost ten million dollar facility for them uh, to to grow. And they've got at this point, they're trending. They should reach. Almost 60 million in sales this year. They have a healthy profitability, and they have really deep supply chain impact uh, uh, in terms of where they source ingredients from. So they're focused on they're focused on fair trade and fair, fair wages to to the farmers, um, and also uh, on uh, environmental uh, restoration of rainforests in the areas in which they source.
0: Right. Right. Yes. Very interesting. Yes. Yes. And I'd like to uh, talk a little bit more about the equity side of things in a moment, but how has your loan portfolio been doing?
1: It's been doing quite well. So again, as I mentioned, we have a 30-year track record uh, on the lending side, and we have a um, default rate of less than 2% over the past 10 years. And our, uh, our track record of payment of principal and interest back to our investors is 100%. Uh, so we, um, we achieved that track record through uh, two things. On the investor side, we have a healthy reserve uh, that sits underneath our low portfolio, and we have a conservative methodology in which we, um, we forecast our uh, loan loss allowance. And um, on, the, on the social enterprise side, our approach to, again, deep relationships and long-term partnerships really allows us to work with the social enterprise if they get into any trouble. Um, because we're not a regulated bank, we can be more flexible uh, when things start to go south. And so it might sound a little counterintuitive, but... When things start to go bad, you know, a bank is either required to, or it's it's simply their practice to call a loan or to, they um, act a bit more aggressively. And um, when you look at the financial outcomes, if you give a a company um, a little more time and if you can patiently work with them and work through uh, whatever uh, business cycle um, issues they might be facing, the outcome is often... Uh, more positive in the sense that you know, our our repayment um, rates on loans that um, are in our troubled uh, loan uh, portfolio uh, is actually quite quite good and so
0: right that, yes
1: uh, as a way in which our relationship based financing really pays off in terms of of uh, performance
0: right that's very interesting, so you'd say that there's clear evidence that when uh, on balance uh, in, in the portfolios, you say, of, of, of uh, organizations of troubled, you know, uh, in a troubled financial situation, that oh, helping helping them, giving them a bit more time and supporting them does pay off?
1: It does, yes. That's been
0: our experience. That's very interesting. That's very interesting because you, you do hear uh, about a quite a binary approach of traditional banks when it comes to, you know, financial difficulty and so forth. Can you talk about? The relationship support that you provide, what are the needs of social enterprises on the finance side when they when they borrowed money, what kind of support do they need?
1: That's a big question and they, they generally need all kinds of, of support. We, we support strong entrepreneurs and strong management teams, but when an organization is going through uh, growth, they often, first and foremost, uh, from the RSF side, Typically, as we enter the relationship, we are able to provide advice and guidance around the mix of capital. Even at that moment in time when we're discussing a particular need, we have an example of a, of a company that we're currently working on bringing into our portfolio. But they came to us and said, "Oh, we're going, we're growing. We think we need to raise 20 to 30 million in equity, and maybe three to five million of that might be might be debt." And, were able to really understand their business model and come back and say, actually, you can finance more of this than you thought uh, with debt, and then you can structure the mix of debt and equity in a certain way that would be optimal for the company over the long term. So in terms of advice, I think at the first phase, it's really a understanding the business such that RSF and our team can uh, provide guidance around how the company can set itself up for success in terms of how they decide to what mix of capital uh, they will take on in order to achieve their growth and impact goals. So that's one form of non-financial capital. It's just the expertise, the knowledge, and uh, advice of how to approach uh, financing their growth needs. And the second piece is really on an ongoing basis, we have a very broad and deep network uh, of other uh, investors, of Uh, philanthropic corners that we can often connect the dots uh, between investor and donor clients uh, in our network to specific social enterprises. So, for example, we have many examples of clients of RSF, so those who um, have uh, invested and given to us who often want to invest or lend directly to social enterprises in our portfolio. And so part of the integrated capital approach is bringing in other organizations and other people's capital uh, into transactions such that it benefits the investor and and donor client, and it also provides benefit to the social enterprises. So that's another layer of the non-financial capital and then, and then I think the third piece uh, worth mentioning is community. Uh, we really have a, a very strong community of social entrepreneurs working in similar impact areas. And so they find they build relationships with one another. We can often connect if entrepreneurs are problem solving around similar issues. We can put them in touch and they can share solutions uh, with each other, they can brainstorm. Uh, sometimes we are part of that uh, dialogue. And sometimes we just let them connect uh, and learn from one another. So there really is a peer network and community among those uh, in the various segments of our portfolio. And even those who some some organizations have graduated from our financing and we often stay stay in touch. Uh, sometimes they those Entrepreneurs are investors or donors uh, in RSF and sometimes and then they will come back for different kinds of financing down the road. So all of those elements are really uh, uh, key to the, the non-financial capital that is a core part of that integrated capital equation uh, that we are able to provide to social enterprises.
0: The Miller Center for Social Entrepreneurship at Santa Clara University in Silicon Valley provides rigorous training to help social entrepreneurs succeed with a special emphasis on climate resilience and women's economic empowerment via its in-person and online programs. Since 2003, Miller Center has paired top-level Silicon Valley executive mentors with enterprises from 65 countries. Find out more at www.scu.edu. Are there one or two areas, or I won't say mistakes, but challenges in particular that you find that social enterprises have, or or ways of thinking about their financing themselves that cause them problems? I think uh,
1: from the RSF perspective, I would say that, um, for example, nonprofit social enterprises don't often uh, explore or consider. Debt as a as a viable or attractive means to uh, to grow. Uh, they're often because um, nonprofits um, often have some form of uh, support from the philanthropic sector. Uh, the the culture is less uh, oriented and aware of the benefits of debt financing uh, for growth. So I'd say that's one challenge um, area that uh, that we hope to uh, continue to educate the marketplace and educate. Uh, social entrepreneurs on the, the benefits of, of debt financing and on the for-profit side again there is really a, a culture um, of, of venture financing as really the the way to, to grow and um, we're, we're really trying to bring a more balanced um, perspective to that and, um, and trying to model a way in which entrepreneurs can again receive the non-financial benefits that often come with control relationship and equity investment, um, but, but provide them with an alternative form of, of capital. And so those are some of the areas that we look to continue to uh, advance the marketplace in terms of modalities of, of financing social enterprises.
0: Right. It's very interesting to hear that because the uh, nonprofit uh, Social enterprise is very interesting, isn't it? And doesn't often get as much attention as some of the more exciting areas. So it's good to hear you talk about that a little bit. So can you talk a little bit about shared risk finance? What does that actually mean? And why is that important?
1: Yes, so by shared risk, what we mean is that the risk that we undertake when we underwrite a loan to a social enterprise um, or make an investment to that social enterprise, that that risk is shared among all of the investors who have come into a particular fund. So this differs from Our core offering, uh, the Social Investment Fund, which we had talked about, uh, in which we have delivered 100% return of principal and interest to our investors since inception, our loss rate is incredibly low, so less than 2% over the last 10 years, and who covers that loss um, that is RSF that has to we raise philanthropic guarantees we ensure that we have healthy reserves to cover that so we have 12 million in reserves on a hundred million dollar loan portfolio. so we really bear uh, the risk and we manage that risk such that our investors are largely protected and that was important to us because we wanted to make a product that was appropriate for our retail. Uh, offering uh, so that any person can invest as little as $1,000 and be an impact investor. Uh, the space has been largely very exclusive for high net worth individuals with large minimums and a long-term hold period. And um, and so our our intent of really bearing that risk and making a retail product offering that was attractive to retail investors is that. Um, It's a a way to enter uh, the impact investing marketplace and begin to align uh, capital um, with, with impact. And so where we're going with these shared risk funds is that we are looking to, again, push the envelope of where RSF can take more risks in lending to and investing in social enterprises and bringing in investors into these products where they really want us to take more risk to innovate and they're willing to to take losses with us and so we have um, two thematic funds uh, that are in this shared risk category. One is focused on food systems transformation and the other one is regenerative economy. And in both, we have a five-year term and we target a 1% return rate to investors. And our initial investors in these shared risk products are were foundations who invested out of their program-related investment, their PRI uh, bucket. And so they were targeting... Largely capital, uh, capital preservation, and um, a modest return, and and yet the impact element um, associated with that PRI enables them to partner with us and take risks, uh, and it's okay if we lose some of that capital in service to trying to come up with new products and offerings that will work in the marketplace that will enable social enterprises earlier and more and higher on the risk spectrum to receive needed capital at critical points in their growth and their impact journey. So that's really the concept behind the shared risk funds that we offer. Um, and, and it's worked out so well so far in that um, over the last seven years in our first fund, uh, we deployed about $5 million um, out of that fund. And we've only realized a, hundred thousand dollar loss to investors that was shared across 12 investors pro rata. And the feedback we received was that they want us to take even more risk, uh, and, and really move the needle, uh, in service to social enterprises. And they're in it in order to help us push the boundaries and, um, And again, uh, go earlier and and take more risk. So we're really early in in this concept, but ideally we want to be able to do riskier investments and um, prove what works and then raise additional capital uh, that's structured and aligned with the needs of the investor and the needs of the social enterprise.
0: Right, right. Fascinating. Very innovative.
1: Great, and one additional concept that I thought could be interesting to your audience is the concept of trust-based underwriting, which is related to shared risk, in that uh, given our relationship-based approach to financing social enterprises, we really value uh, the deep relationships that we build over many, many years with social enterprise clients, and out of our collaborative, the philanthropic capital that we've raised, we're piloting a concept where we provide a benefit to certain social enterprises that have been in our portfolio for a long time. Many of them, as I mentioned, have deep impact globally through their supply chains uh, based on where they source from. And we have one recent example where we were able to utilize this trust underwriting concept uh, and... Through a, an organization called Equal Exchange, uh, which has, again, been a client of RSFs for a long time. We know them really, really well, and they know their suppliers really well. And so we're utilizing the trust that we have in Equal Exchange as a, as a client and the trust that they have in their long-term uh, suppliers. And we were able to make direct loans and grants to three uh, coffee cooperatives in Chiapas, Mexico, which is a very rural region in Mexico, very hard, um, it would be near impossible for a U.S.-based lender to, uh, to do the diligence uh, required to fund those cooperatives directly. And yet through our partner, Equal Exchange, they have a longstanding relationship uh, a, with these cooperatives. And so we were able to utilize that trust that they have uh, and the business relationship they have, and we were able to fund um, almost $200,000 in a mix of loans and grants, again, to these three cooperatives who are really working on um, getting through uh, the coffee rust, uh, the coffee rust um, uh, blight that occurred several years ago, and these these coffee producers are really working to, uh, to become more resilient uh, against... Um, future uh, future disruptions and so our technical assistance was critical and uh, the type of loan that we were able to provide was also something that um, is a gap in the capital uh, marketplace um, to these types of, of cooperatives. And so we see trust-based underwriting, the ability to utilize and capitalize on uh, the relationships that we have with our long-standing social enterprise clients as a way to to really expand uh, what we're able to fund and the types of social enterprises that we're able to fund. And and this isn't a new concept. I mean, when you think about the history of microfinance, you think about group lending and and how microfinance institutions, for example, are able to uh, underwrite and provide loans to people who do not have um, documents, the traditional um, documentation required or credit history required for loans. I mean, this is a very similar concept just applied in a different context. So we're looking to take that innovation that's worked uh, in other parts of the social innovation and impact investing landscape and apply that um, to to our context where our our longstanding social enterprise clients are able to provide benefit to their suppliers and we are able to directly fund um, high-impact, uh, in this case, um, coffee producers and cooperatives in Mexico uh, in a way that um, that we wouldn't otherwise be able to do were it not for this uh, this concept of trust underwriting.
0: Right. Very interesting. Very interesting. Thanks, Susie. Um, I'm just wondering if you could talk a little bit about the kinds of equity finance you provide, and uh, presumably that's a growing or something that you've been doing more recently can talk about the thinking behind that and where you want to go with that?
1: Sure. So, yes, that, uh, our capability to make equity investments is, is newer, and uh, certainly that was one of the reasons why uh, I joined RSS. And one of my uh, priority areas is for us to prove our philosophy and our hypothesis and our model that we've just discussed here around the integrated capital approach and We see the philanthropic uh, collaboratives that I mentioned as um, essentially as a pilot, a means to test uh, uh, RSF's role in in being an equity investor and in bringing in others in our network into equity uh, transactions. And as we build a track record over the next few years, our goal is to then develop and launch the appropriate new products that would complement our, our current toolkit so currently the source of, uh, of capital for our the equity investments that we make is philanthropic and that's because we're in the early phases of, uh, of, of, of work uh, in this area and as we as we prove the model out as we uh, develop our track record, in equity investing, our goal and our vision is to continue building product along that risk spectrum so that five, ten years from now, we will have a balanced mix of, so if we, if we speak five years from now, ideally we would have um, our, our core loan uh, offering uh, would be uh, thriving and growing, and then our shared risk loan uh, offerings would also be growing, and then the equity side of the work we would have um, we would be raising investor capital for those equity uh, investment tools, and we are currently using that the philanthropic sources of funds to to prove it out and to build our track record.
0: Yes, that's very interesting. One um, thing you can say about the the kinds of return expectations that you you think will be common in in this area. You mentioned it's philanthropic capital. Presumably they still want returns uh, and they're equity investors. So presumably riskier uh, type projects and therefore perhaps higher levels of returns. Maybe it's just the final point. Just talk a little bit about returns there because I know social entrepreneurs uh, will find that an interesting question.
1: Sure. So to be clear, the expectation on the philanthropic profit funds, those are donations and gifts to RSF. And so the donor actually has no expectation of financial return back on that capital. And our job is to deploy that capital effectively uh, across all of the tools that I mentioned. And so for those equity investments, our goal is to make very good investments that will help prove our track record. And so uh, the opportunities that we're currently seeing uh, are often with organizations that we know very well um, and that we um, we feel the deep relationship we've had with these organizations um, enable us to make better investment decisions. Um, we understand where the risks are. We understand where the growth and the opportunity and the potential for financial return are, that these are, and so for us as RSF, our expectation on return is that our goal, as I mentioned, is to prove that this model works, to prove that RSF uh, can and should expand our offerings um, to include uh, investor-funded equity vehicles. And so to do that, we need to um, prove both the impact side of it, that the catalytic nature of the integrated capital approach produces a high impact, um, and also that um, there is a strong financial case uh, to be made for us to raise investor capital uh, into equity vehicles.
0: Yes, yes, uh,
1: So, yeah. in a sense, um, we you know we're, we are impact um, first, but in a sense, we we do need to uh, do well on these equity investments in order to build out the new. And, and investor-backed yes. offerings yes. expand our ability to to partner even more deeply in the future.
0: Yes, yes. I Presumably, it's still very early days. Anything you can say about the kinds of returns you're you're getting? Are you meeting expectations? How's that going?
1: We have had our, as you know, um, equity investments um, involve a high level of risk. And um, oftentimes things um, don't work out. So we have had a few of those great learning experiences uh, already. And hopefully those are under our belt and we can learn from those and um, move forward. But equity investments are long term. I think the other uh, piece uh, that's unique in terms of our approach that I should mention is that we are not trying to replicate the traditional venture capital uh, model, the 10-year fund and, and exit in three, five, seven years, we're really trying to provide an alternative form of equity where entrepreneurs can build the business over the long run, and actually structures that we are supporting, for example, are uh, ones in which uh, the entrepreneur can raise common stock and not have a preferred stack, and they can then make dividend payments on that common stock and provide uh, an equivalent um, healthy return over the long term, to investors that would make an evergreen equity offering attractive to uh, to commercial investors interested in impact. Because we think about the venture model as very much, you know, one home run in a portfolio that makes the whole fund and a whole bunch of, of failures, and then you know the need to, to drive a twenty five or a thirty percent IRR and all of that really. Um, enforces uh, behaviors that that can can actually be detrimental to deeply mission-aligned and values-oriented social enterprises who want to uh, perhaps have a slower growth path or not uh, necessarily pursue an exit to a large mainstream company. And so piloting a way in which mission-aligned investors can achieve returns over the long term. So if you added up, if you were in a company for 20 years and you got dividends on a very profitable company and compare that to investing in a fund where you have, you know, there's 10 companies and one did really well, two did okay, and the rest went out of business. Uh, When you look at the impact uh, from a social and environmental perspective of that model, there are a lot of challenges there. Um, And when you look at the impact um, that providing a mechanism for social enterprises to to raise equity, uh, but not be forced to pursue excessive levels of growth or be forced to uh, spend two to three years finding an appropriate acquirer, Perhaps when they're not ready. I mean, these are all the things that we are trying to problem solve around, and we're trying to provide, create an innovation uh, in the marketplace that uh, that opens up um, new doors for social entrepreneurs to think long term, uh, build businesses um, for the long run, and um, and again, not be constrained by the uh, traditional model of of a ten a year fund that requires uh, companies to exit
0: uh, in a short time frame right that's a great vision, Susie and I know that uh it's often the case as well with the stock market that you see family businesses for example, that are privately owned can make different investment on different horizons longer term considerations and often do uh better financially because they can take that longer term perspective and shorter term dynamics can be adverse. My question, I guess, is a final question. Are there investors you think that would be interested in that or are, are willing to take that long, very longer term horizon? What's your sense at the moment?
1: Yes. So I think investors have been eager to find investable opportunities in this area, certainly investors in our network. So we are encouraged by uh, both on the entrepreneur side where we see uh, demand for for this type of uh, evergreen equity uh, capital. And then on the investor side, we have, and I mean, certainly high network individuals in our network who have uh, both invested and um, donated uh, over the course of our history have really been eager to co-create this with us. So as we, as we architect uh, these opportunities, uh, we already have a short list um, of really deep relationships um, with investors who are eager, who, who have had this vision uh, with us for, for quite some time. And so we're really excited to, again, prove it out uh, through transactions and um, and deepen these relationships. And there is absolutely um, demand uh, in our network, and um, and I think that there is also demand outside of, of our network. But there's a bit of a chicken and the egg where entrepreneurs want to do this, but there isn't enough capital out there. Um, that can fund this model and so until we prove it out uh and have really strong uh results in terms of both impact and, and financial performance uh we can we can uh, start to again model what that looks like and then once we do i think the, the demand will become even more uh, evident uh, outside of our our current network
0: excellent it sounds like this is an evolving story and you're, you're confident that signs are that the model works So far, yes. Excellent. Excellent. Well, that's just been fascinating to hear the RSF story and the the work you're doing, the relentless innovation and taking on more risk and proving out these different important areas in terms of financial support for social enterprise. So thank you very much for sharing all of that with us today, Susie. And I wish you the very best of success in the future.
1: Thank
0: you so much. Pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for listening to the Financing Social Entrepreneurs podcast. I hope you found this interview valuable. Please make sure to visit financingsocialentrepreneurs.com and subscribe to make sure you don't miss any future
1: podcasts.